0: Hello and welcome to the October 29th edition of Ukraine Without Hype where we take a look at the biggest stories of the week from Ukraine and the region. I'm Roman Krakowski and beside me is my colleague Maria Romanenko. Hello. Today we'll cover attacks on Ukraine's anti-corruption reform efforts as well as on National Anti-Corruption Bureau Director Artem Szygnik and the abortion restrictions introduced in Poland. But first, Let's talk about the aftermath of the countrywide local elections held last Sunday. Turnout was poor, but people still made it to the polls to vote despite the coronavirus pandemic. Some basic takeaways from the election were the poor performance, or let's say middling performance, of many parliamentary powers and the surprising strength of local and elite interests in a lot of cities. Maria, what was your main takeaway from the election?
1: I mean, firstly, yeah, as you said yourself, the turnout was really low, even though on the last podcast we talked about how, I like think it was 60% said, you know, 60% of people, the polled Ukrainians said they will come to the uh, polling stations. And then it was 50 if there was a, they said, like 50 still said they would be voting if there is an uptick in coronavirus cases. But as we can see, with thirty-seven percent attendance of uh, polling stations, that number like is quite different to what people originally stated. I mean, obviously, you know, it's a poll, it's a poll, it's a survey. Like, it's not representative of the whole country, but still, we can see that. It- the turnout it's really really low it's lower than in previous local elections and it's just low in general which shows that people are probably tired with the ukrainian politics uh, some might be scared of the coronavirus like various reasons could be the reason for that but yeah the takeaway is that as you mentioned yourself the seven of the people i think it was a huge blow to them the the fact that They didn't get any of the major cities. I mean, it was expected, as we talked last week. It was pretty um, obvious that most of the big towns, uh, cities like Kiev, Odessa, Viviv, Poltava, that, you know, the incumbent mayors have the best chances. And so far, the exit polls and, you know, some parallel counts, parallel uh, calculations that are done by some parties all prove that. So while we don't have any results, even like early results yet, because the thing about these local elections there's no like live. You can't observe the the, the calculations live as you could for parliamentary elections or presidential elections last year. So we don't really have any results yet, but we do have exit polls that we can base our judgments from, and we also have parallel counting. So as we can see, seven of the people they did get the highest amount in terms of the whole country sort of voting for each party but as we talked about last week if you listen to that podcast that's only because a lot of smaller parties were created or exist by mayors of different cities so it's only because there are so many smaller local parties that and that's why it looks like seven of the people have got the most support but in reality it's only because the rest of the support is like separate and scattered around uh different parties
0: yeah, that doesn't just apply to the serving of the people. Actually, that applies to most of the big political blocks, including European Solidarity and the opposition platform, is they didn't do quite as well compared to local elites who've really been showing their powers. Usually, this has been incumbent mayors plus their own power blocks in their own local councils. And we've seen in most major cities, we've seen that most of the incumbents have been reelected, even, let's say, scandalous incumbents like uh, Gennady Karnas in Kharkiv or... I
1: mean... The, the, the interesting thing about Karnas is that he's still out of the country so there is yeah, this like joke
0: coronavirus isn't he yeah, very he's, ill he, he's treated <laughs> he's,
1: he's been treated in Germany in the same clinic where, where uh, Navalny was treated uh, just a few weeks earlier so he's out of the country we don't know what the state of his health is as far as I know unless I uh, missed on any uh, statements but a few as of a couple of days ago there were no updates on his health and people who are close to him who worked for him kept promising that there's going to be an update scene and he's going to record some video or you know, like reappear in some way, but that hasn't happened yet to my knowledge. So, we don't even know, you know, if his how, how well he feels to be at the helm of us of such a big city as Kharkiv. So, that's an interesting fact.
0: I mean, if he doesn't make it back to Ukraine, surely they'd have to have another election?
1: Yeah, I don't really know what happens, you know, when somebody is not fat enough to lead the city, or to be a mayor, or, you know, if even if they die. Because we did have this case just recently, a couple of days ago the mayor of Boryspil, which is a town near Kiev, where the airport is. So probably most people, if they've been to Ukraine, they would know Boryspil airport. So he died from the coronavirus. And according to... so this was reported by Interfax, which is a news agency in Ukraine, According to them as well, he was winning this elections as well. So we don't really know, I think, what's going to happen with the elections now. And also, you know, also Klitschko, like the mayor of Kiev, he, he was diagnosed uh, just the day before the elections. He got the coronavirus and that's why he couldn't vote because there was a deadline by which he had to apply for voting from home. So, you know, people who got coronavirus, they could, they could vote, but they would have to apply by the 23rd, by two days uh, before the, the actual election day, and ask for the commission members to come to their place and take in their votes, basically take their ballot papers. And Klitschko missed the deadline, so he stayed at home. But according to his own reports, to his videos, that he's reporting, he's feeling fine. He says he still controls the... The work in the Kiev is still working basically. It's still unclear whether Klitschko actually will win this. Uh, well, it, it is pretty clear that he will win, but whether he'll win in the first round. Or- second route, that's something we're yet to find out when the official results are released, uh, which will be sometime by the 6th of November.
0: Yeah, but- at the moment, though, he's forecasted to just barely miss, according to, to Exit polls, at least, that he's forecasted to just barely miss the cutoff for the runoff and then triggering a runoff election. Though, I believe he himself says that his counts say that he has passed that threshold. So I guess we just kind of have to wait for the official results, as you said.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the exit polls say uh, he got some like 47 points, something, which, and you know, and you need to have 50% to uh, win in the first round. But his parallel counting that his Udar party did says that he got 51%. So, you know, like 1% above what he needed to get. So I guess, yeah, as you said, we'll have to wait and see.
0: And there's only really a few cities where the local elite power structures, once again, usually meaning the incumbent mayor plus his power support in the local council, where they didn't win. And in those, European Solidarity, I believe, got their candidate through. But there are a couple of kind of interesting points in the local councils. So this isn't the executive races, but for local council races, where the incumbent did win, but his own party did not actually gain a majority in the local council. So they'll have to contend with the parliamentary party. For example, in Trivedi, which is President Volodymyr Zelensky's hometown, the servant of the people candidate for mayor did lose, but they still took the majority of seats in the local council. So the mayor's own party in the local council will now have to contend with servant of the people to get anything done. And, and that story repeats a couple of times, though it does more or less still overall paint this picture of sort of Weakened national parliamentary parties on kind of the local level, and of course the local elites and their power structures kind of growing in influence. Though whether or not that's going to have an effect on any upcoming parliamentary elections is is still an open question, since there's quite a bit of time to go.
1: Mm. And um, yeah, also an interesting case I think is uh, as as we said, you know, that most of the incumbent mayors of big cities got through like either won in the first round or got through to the second round with a big with a big gap. Basically, it's kind of very obvious that they all will get it like you know in the way there's probably going to be a second round but he still got a bit more votes than the european solidarity candidate but like for example somewhere in Chernivtsi, which is you know it's also quite a big town the incumbent mayor looks like he's gonna lose it because he's definitely he definitely won't win in the first round because he's like i think according to exit polls he's dead So it's just a matter of whether he'll make it to the second round, which he believes, uh, I watched his interview on Ukrainian media, he believes he'll get to the second round. Quite fair to say that he's going to lose it because the gap is, again, very, very big. And another, I think, interesting thing about these elections is how much support the opposition party got, or like how much support basically pro-Russian parties got in general. So it's quite quite high. I think it's second, if it's uh, in terms of the general support, you know, with like general for the whole country, I think they second after seven of the people, and then like for example, Shari party, you know, this party that was founded by this pro-Russian blogger called Anatoly Shari, they got you know into the local governments in some towns like Mariupol, for example. So I think what this can signal is that these parties, you know, whether they got the majority in some local governments or if they just got through, they can make, they have this power, they have this leverage to sort of make decisions, you know, like basically communicate some messages on a higher level to the president. So basically they gain gaining more ground, which is a worrying sign.
0: But as always in Ukrainian politics, nothing is ever straightforward. And there is one complication that may make a lot of the local elections more or less moot. Maria, what could that possibly be?
1: So some pretty bad news yesterday, which kind of just shook. The whole country at least my circle and i know that a lot of people probably don't really follow the events in ukraine that much but yesterday the constitutional court did make a a couple of decisions that could basically signal
0: an end to anti-corruption reform in ukraine i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mince words here what they've done we'll talk more about this in a second but the decision basically gutted the anti, the main anti-corruption law in the country. But in this case, specifically where this applies to local elections here in a moment.
1: Yeah, uh, specifically uh, in terms of local elections. So this anti-corruption body, which is tied to the General Prosecutor of Ukraine, it's called the National Agency for Preventing Corruption, NAPC, so usually when there's elections after those results like are announced, they have to or actually before even I think, or maybe like simultaneously, but basically in order for a winner to be crowned as you know as the mayor or any elected sort of position, they have to check the records and to make sure, you know, because we are a democracy, um on paper at least, they have to basically check up each candidate who's winning. But now, according to the agency themselves, they say... Specifically
0: the candidates have to submit an asset declaration to this agency, listing all of their income and all of their property and so on that they own. Then the agency has to go through and check the contents of that declaration, make sure that it is actually accurate. But...
1: But the constitutional court yesterday made a number of decisions. Uh, I think, Romeo, you actually know this better. But basically, these decisions kind of block this access to uh, the registers where this information would be contained, which makes it impossible to do those checks and uh, therefore announce the winners.
0: Yeah, under current election law in Ukraine, all candidates have to go through asset declaration checks. But since the asset declaration database is currently unconstitutional and not available for access, the detectives and prosecutors at the NAPC cannot actually fulfill this function, meaning no one elected can be officially announced as a winner at all until that check is done and that check cannot be done currently. So that's a fun twist to the story of local elections in Ukraine.
1: (laughs) What else has the constitutional court ruled Ruled because I know there was a lot of dismay, a lot of anger yesterday because pretty much all of the everything that was announced yesterday was like really, really bad news for Ukraine.
0: Yeah, so again, anti corruption reform in Ukraine, and this is Ukraine without hype, so I'm not hyping anything, but it is dead, it is effectively dead in the water. The court ruled it was a they they wrote a very long opinion. This is the the constitutional court. So there is technically no body to appeal to that is above them. It is their job to interpret laws and make sure they are in accordance with the Constitution of Ukraine. There is no real way to gainsay that, except simply by ignoring their decisions. So they ruled that the main law on preventing corruption is basically all illegitimate. This means the asset declarations are illegitimate. This means that agencies do not have what is called authority in Russian. They don't have the authority to conduct their own work. And there are further challenges coming to the law that have not yet been completed, that they're in the process. So things like criminal charges, for example, for corruption were ruled, I think, unconstitutional last year. Any like final responsibilities that a corrupt official may carry may be utterly destroyed. These challenges were put forward by pro-Russian parties, mostly, and oligarch-owned parties, mostly. So the party of pro-Russian oligarch Viktor Medvedchuk, his party opposition platform, they filed a bunch of these challenges saying, oh, this law is constitutional, can review it. Constitutional Court did, and joining him was the party of oligarch Iker Kolomoisky, this uh, Zemai or for the Future Party, which had the same objections. I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to connect the dots between a oligarch-controlled party challenging anti-corruption law and the results. It, it's really put a lot of Ukraine's current kind of obligations and current responsibilities vis-a-vis the EU, vis-a-vis other Western partners in doubt. Because so much of the aid and assistance that Ukraine has gotten has been contingent directly and entirely on Ukraine conducting some of these anti-corruption reforms. And now that the law itself has been challenged and the core of it has been declared unconstitutional with pretty much every constituent part that could matter soon, probably to receive the same fate, it's hard to say that Ukraine has any anti-corruption reform at all. The removal of the asset declaration database is a huge blow. That's one of that, That's been, you know, it has its pros and cons, of course. Enforcement, And this, as we were talking earlier in the local elections, these kind of checking that the asset declaration forms are legitimate has not been done that well, but the very fact that it existed and you could go in and at least see what all of these public figures, what they would admit to having, even if they weren't completely accurate, it was still a baseline to go off of uh, to see how much property someone has. And, And, you know, there's a lot of very interesting factoids that came out in these asset declarations. And now, you know, they're completely gone. So that is a a huge blow in and of itself. Adding to this are further attacks against the National Anti-Corruption Bureau. This is another anti-corruption law enforcement body, similar to the NAPC, but considered to be a little bit more independent than, than the NAPC. The NAPC is linked to the prosecutor's office and they work closely with them, while Boo is more or less an independent organ. So there's kind of a thread that links a lot of these facts together. It's not just the oligarch party and it's not just Kolmoysky and the There is increasingly shaping up to be a connected network of judges who themselves have personal vested interest in ensuring Ukraine's anti-corruption reforms fail. And the most indicative specimen of this type, this judge, his name is Vovk. He is the head of the regional administrative court here in Kiev. And he is under currently investigation by NABU, for bribe taking, for corruption, for selling decisions, and so on, and he's been caught on tape, on audio tapes shared by Naboo to the public, where you can clearly hear him selling decisions for money. So it's not that this this is an allegation, or you know this is a fabrication. He's literally caught red-handed with his hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. But his court has been a huge, huge promulgator, maybe one of the main promulgators of of corruption in Ukraine's post-Maidan era. And they have upheld a number of decisions against Artem Sitnik, the, the Naboo director, one of the most recent of which they demanded that the Ministry of Justice remove Sitnik's name as director from the registrar of organizations in Ukraine. So there's a unified database of every single company, nonprofit, charity, and body in in the country that the government carries. And into that registry is where this Wolf's district court, district administrative court said that they need to remove Sitnik's name from it. Effectively, this means that any decisions he will take as director will be automatically invalidated. Because there was an earlier court case that said he was appointed illegally. It didn't touch on his current powers, but the district court is using that ruling to interpret that basically any action that Sednik may take is illegitimate because he occupies the post illegitimately. And Nabu, in their estimation, doesn't have a director. And actually They went a step forward and they ordered the state bureau investigations to open an investigation to the matter. They ordered the general prosecutors to start drafting criminal charges and so on, though in the maybe one kind of uplifting note in all of this, the one silver lining is that the Minister of Justice, Denis Maluska, has said that he views all of the district court's judgments as illegitimate and will not be enforcing any of them. But again, that just kind of sets up yet another conflict between the government and the court system, which is kind of erupting into this all-out assault on anti-corruption in Ukraine.
1: I mean, I don't know how... Because like from, from the comments that I read, uh, made by, you know, analysts, uh, people who follow the situation, like a lot of them say that this kind of decisions would not be able to be taken without the approval of Zelensky or, you know, without him being in, being able to influence something. So it's yeah like fight you say maybe there is a fight but obviously it kind of is very obvious who's winning this fight now anyway and actually this reminds me because you you brought up uh pablo Volk, uh the the judge i think today's list for info this uh investigative agency are releasing a whole like um film about his um Corruption, which is going to be interesting, so we're just going to be keeping an eye on that. But I think Volk is not like the only one who could have influenced these recent decisions
0: by the constitutional court. I and I want to say, there. actually, one big influencer Volk did have is that he has. There was an earlier scandal where he instituted a bunch of people loyal to him into the selection committee for judges for the constitutional court. So he has a pretty big group of friends or a power block in the constitutional court as a virtue of that because he had his own people choosing who the judges would be. So with the almost complete collapse of anti-corruption reform in Ukraine at this point, news across the border has not been any better. And Maria, I think you have the details on that
1: yeah so similarly to you know ukraine's uh constitutional court ruling some very damaging decisions ruling some very damaging like outcomes for the country i think uh Quite in a similar way, the constitutional tribunal last week. Basically, I don't know if you've been following this, guys. You know, but there's kind of this uh, was this big fight between the government. Essentially, I know it's the constitutional court, but you know, the, you can argue how much how much influence does the the ruling party, Prawo i Sprawiedliwość, uh, or uh, law and order, or sometimes it's shortened to PIS in Polish, how much influence they have over these kind of decisions because they've been sp- spreading pretty much very like. Support and message over these ideas. So basically, before a couple of days ago, before a few days ago when this uh, decision was ruled, uh, most types of, types of abortion were not allowed, were banned in Poland. The only reason when women in Poland could get an abortion was when there were fetal abnormalities. And last week, basically, those were banned as well, which means that you know, pretty much it's impossible to get an abortion in Poland now with this new decision. So a lot of women, especially some men, like were against this decision because that means that women now have to go to a neighboring country to get an abortion, which might be very difficult at the times of the coronavirus and all the travel restrictions. Like this just puts a lot of women in a very uncomfortable position. 90, I think it's about 98% of abortions that were carried out in Poland recently, which weren't a lot. I think they only got like a thousand abortions in a year. Uh, But 98% of them were uh, to do with fetal abnormalities. Essentially, this is banning all of the abortions in Poland. The one thing is that, you know, a lot of people are blaming Prawa i Sprawiedliwis for this decision because they've been pushing these ideas all the time that they've been in the office.
0: Abortion restrictions were always a core PIS value. And a lot of their rhetoric has always been on very conservative, kind of protect the family lines. This has been a legislative goal for them since basically the party's founding.
1: And over over the last uh, couple of years, there were a number of decisions that were basically given less power to the, the courts in Poland and basically making sure that the government has a total influence over the court decisions that are Oh, like not total, but pretty much total uh, influence over the decisions that are being made. A lot of people are blaming uh, Yaroslav Kaczyński, who is the deputy prime minister of Poland. He's also a member of the same party, Prawo. Is lewis because of the decisions he made a couple of years ago and the protests that have been going on ever since this was announced uh, since last week. So today, I think it's the eighth day, and I'm sure there's probably going to be the protests are going to continue. So they started off near the constitutional court, the did, and then they moved on to Kaczynski's house. And then as soon as the uh, demonstrators found out that Kaczynski was in a different place, they moved to that place. So people are blaming him. People were supporting the Polish protesters outside of Poland in Kiev uh, as well. A couple of days ago, there was a feminist uh, women, Ukrainian women, went to the Polish embassy and uh, supported all the Polish protesters who are protesting this decision. At the same time, I think there were a bunch of men from right-wing Ukrainian party who were showing support for the Polish government, which is weird. I always find it really weird. I don't know. I've always found it really weird. Like when men basically say that, you know, abortion should be banned because it's like, you don't have vaginas. You shouldn't have a say in this. Like, it just, it just, like, I just find it very difficult to grasp and understand. And even the fact that You know the ruling party, the president, most of the people who take these laws, they are men, so they shouldn't be able to have a say. And even like even on the wider scope, like it's not just not just in terms of men, women, but even on the on the whole sort of scope of the whole Polish population. There was a there was a poll last year in December twenty two thousand nineteen. And uh only fifteen percent of people who are polled said that they support like a total ban on the abortions. So it seems like even the public in general don't seem to support these decisions. It must be very tough to be one of those people who, you know, trying to fight for their freedom in Poland now, because there have been several steps like curbing this uh, freedom, you know, making sure that the all the decisions are kind of approved, all the decisions are done by the government, and the government is basically this... Uh, right wing quite conservative party and also i think there's also another point about uh, poland being a very catholic country so the the whole sort of fight also took this turn to being a fight against very religious people who believe that you know it's very bad to kill um an unborn baby, and uh, some of the protesters actually went inside churches and had this like posters saying, like, give us the right to decide what we do with our bodies. So, yeah, this
0: story is still developing. reminds that. me, what year is it? It's 2020. So, that would put us in the 21st century, am I right? <laughs> yes. Oh, and, and when was the last time we had a king appointed by a pope of the Catholic Church? I think it's been a couple of centuries, right? Yes. <laughs> it's a very very odd ruling to base your secular laws on a tradition that hasn't been enforced in a few hundred years, but
1: I mean there's a parallel, like people are comparing this to the situation in the Republic of Ireland, but the Republic of Ireland seemed to sort of manage this situation and now abortions are legal in Ireland. So Hopefully, that might be the case in Poland, but the predictions are that this will be a long-term fight. So the only way, because Poland has essentially just had the elections, and Andrzej Duda, the incumbent president, uh, he was the president before the elections as well. He won, uh, even though it was a very small like margin, it was a very small gap, only 2%. But people still seem to be supporting him mostly. But it looks like that these kind of changes and all of these decisions might lead or probably will lead to when the next elections take place that they will be losing. And I think some polls even support that that the party is basically losing in their support. So I guess this I will mean, be a long fight, but it will be probably lost by the government.
0: It can't be any other way because the direct practical effect is that abortions have gotten more expensive. That is the main practical effect because... Poland is in the EU. They have freedom of movement. Even with the coronavirus restrictions, there are still European countries they can go to and still get abortions. So the main effect is simply raising the price of abortions for Poles. That's it. And regardless of whether or not you agree with the correctness of abortions or not, simply making this medical procedure more expensive is not going to be a popular move, especially given the strain on medical systems that has been so aptly demonstrated by the coronavirus pandemic And people in every single country have seen, you know, and even in quite developed countries have seen their medical systems struggle to cope with this pandemic. So giving yet another blow to kind of the medical establishment is not a very popular move in this case. And in the short term, the other practical effect it's going to have is it's going to make whatever illegal abortion clinics will spring up in Poland because they will spring up. This is historically always happened. Women have always had abortions, regardless of whether or not it has been legal or illegal. But when it is illegal, it is unregulated and therefore unsafe. So two practical results are it is now more expensive and it is now less safe, which seems like the opposite result of what you'd want if your goal is to minimize or uh, eliminate the number of abortions performed
1: there were calls in uh, some countries like Sweden i think to make uh, abortions free for Poles. so you know so that polish women who need abortions now with these new decisions when they get implemented to be able to go to somewhere like Sweden and have a free abortion which would be good but obviously you know it's only it's only treating the symptoms not treating the 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 main thing and at the same time the ruling party is losing support poland is kind of has this big surge of coronavirus cases now so people are kind of getting angry with the party with that as well. So, yeah, we can only sort of wait and see how that turns out. And fo- follow the protest as well, which is still ongoing, but then wait and see how that turns out in time for the next elections.
0: Yeah, hopefully the women's strike, as they're calling it, will have some effect, especially if it gains popular momentum and more and more people go on strike. I mean, historically, strikes in Poland have worked out quite well. They ended the communist regime. So at least historically, there is a precedent for for strike actions in Poland to have massive, wide ranging results. And but like you said, Maria, whether or not that's going to be the case in this situation remains to be seen with the protests that are ongoing. That is going to be it for this week, and I thank you for listening. Ukraine Without Hype is an independent production by myself, Romy Krakowski and Maria Romanenko. Please like, subscribe and share to ensure that Ukraine Without Hype continues to bring you the biggest stories from Ukraine and the region, all in English. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Thank you for being with us today and please don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcasts.